Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Happy Monday. Uh, happy hot day also. It seems like we're getting some scorching weather here in the Northeast. I hope you're staying cool and um, I hope you're about to enjoy this uh, this month's uh, version edition of my construction webinar. Um, this month we're going to talk about responding to the loss. So for those of you who are here for the very first time, let me introduce myself. My name is Tashia Rasool. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm. Um, I practice uh, workers' compensation from the defense side. I lead a team who handles only uh, workers' compensation claims arising out of um, construction accidents in New York. So all of the workers' comp claims that we defend uh, come from, you know, a scaffolding fall or something major that happens on a construction site. And we work hand-in-hand uh, -hand with the general liability defense attorneys to come up with coordinated defense in order to uh, reduce exposure for our clients as much as we can. Um, so that's our expertise. I think we're the only firm in the industry that has a designated uh, construction practice team. And it's because all of our attorneys and paralegals are trained in the area. Um, so welcome. If this is your very first time, if it's not, thank you for coming back and joining me. I can't believe it's June already. As you know, we're going through a different topic every month and I'm trying to focus on issues we see in construction claims in the wrap-ups. I commonly refer to them as OSIPs because they're more they're the more common type of wrap-ups. So it's also just a reminder, a live session. You can ask questions in the end. Um, uh, type in your questions, I'll respond to them. If I don't get to them today, I can definitely respond via email. And, um, you know, we can definitely chat about anything that you may have a question about, whether it's uh, related to a construction claim or even a general workers' compensation question about any claim that you're handling. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? We'll talk about on-site investigations. We'll talk about activating the team that we discussed last month, right? This really amazing team with lots and lots of uh, different resources and moving parts. When the loss happens, we have to activate that team. So we'll talk a little bit about that today. And again, Q&A in the end, feel free to send me uh, your questions. I'll provide an answer. Uh, hopefully I can provide an answer. All right, this is what the question box is going to look at in the end. Type your, type your questions in there and I'll see it on my end. Um, all right, so let's talk about the importance of the initial investigation. Uh, this is something I've been focusing on, I think, in all of my webinars, right? Start defending as soon as we know there's an accident or as soon as the, the claimant is claiming that an accident happened. And how do we do this? We have to get good investigation. It's really key. Um, the reason is we have to, the reason why we should do the investigation from the very first day is the job site is a changing organism. Uh, you know, jobs completed today, the workers leave. They, they're on to a new job tomorrow. The equipment's moved. Uh, by the time the investigator gets there, if you wait a week, it's, it's completely different than it was when the accident occurred. Um, the different trades leave too, you know, the, the workers come in uh, based on their specialty. So by the time if we wait, uh, that specialty might be gone, like all the plumbing workers might be gone and we don't have the, the, the resources to ask specific questions about the kind of work that was going on. 
um, if the accident arose out of the use of an equipment, uh, like any kind of machinery, they're moved away at the end of the day. They're gone to another side of the job site. I mean, scaffolding's removed or it's altered or changed. Um, surveillance from the job site or neighboring buildings is usually taped over. So a lot of the, the clients that I work with on the construction site, they don't generally have surveillance. And it's because of how quickly the job site changes, right? From the very first day, from demo, um, all throughout all of the phases, up until when the, the final building is erected. Um, so it's hard to get surveillance, to install surveillance and have it capture every uh, portion of the job site. However, my clients have been successful in obtaining surveillance from nearby buildings, especially New York City. I mean, all of the buildings have surveillance these days. The problem is though, they're usually taped over so quickly. It might be a week, a month. So you have to get your, your investigators out there the very first day that the accident occurs for them to start getting the surveillance from uh, neighboring buildings if you need to. So it's very important that we collect the evidence in the very beginning, share them with your general liability attorneys. Actually, they're the ones who usually go out with the investigators to the job site. We do that also per request of the client. Uh, one of the benefits of having us go out with the investigator is to provide guidance in terms of the questions to be asked or the information that we know we're gonna need to defend the workers' compensation claim since that's the fast paced claim that really picks up and you know goes as soon as the claim is filed. So definitely share the results of the investigation with your attorneys, don't hold on to it because at least for us, we're starting our defense, our theory of the case, the very moment that we've heard that an accident occurred, right? As soon as the adjuster calls us, we're already thinking about where this is gonna go especially since we see patterns in these workers' compensation claims, right? We know once a, a, a head injury is raised, it turns into like a TBI and post-concussion syndrome, and then there's psych issues, and then it travels through the body all the way to the toes. So we can help um, with the investigation, try to gather the appropriate evidence that we think is going to be necessary and helpful, not only now, but six months from now, or a year down the road when the claimant's claiming consequential injuries. All right, so which accidents should be investigated? Well, so the, the ones that we typically handle here at, at Lois Law Firm are the real catastrophic ones. We tell our clients to send us, you know, the ones with the most severe injuries. I mean, the pinky fingers, the little toe, those are really just, you know, kind of run of the mill, easy ones for us. We like the complicated ones because that's where our expertise is. And in all of those cases, we recommend an investigation be conducted. I know an investigation can be expensive to get the investigator out there. Sometimes they're doing it in the middle of the night, but it's well worth it given the potential exposure of the workers' compensation claim and more so the general liability claim where we're facing, where the clients are facing potentially millions of dollars in exposure, right? So the investigation is really, uh, I hate to say it, but like pocket change in comparison to what you could pay out in the claim. And I think it helps both the workers' comp and the general liability claim. So well worth it, um, especially in situations where if there's a loss of limb, severe head injuries, or death cases. I'll tell you, 
Traumatic brain injury is like the new spinal fusion. Several years ago in the general liability claims, spinal fusions usually uh, drive the exposure on that end. I've attended a couple of conferences over the last couple of years. I work hand in hand with General Liability Defense Counsel, and they say, hey, Tashia, the things that we're seeing that the jury is really putting a lot of money on are the head injuries, right? So we really need to nip those in the butt right away because I cannot tell you the number of times we've seen hospital records that say no loss of consciousness, no head injury, claimant did not hit his head. And three months later, he's going to his workers' comp doctor and he's claiming, you know, a traumatic brain injury, which is a serious injury, if, it, if it's really true, right? So it's, it's really important. It can really help to drive the case to, you know, put our case in the right path if we have the investigation done in these catastrophic cases. If there's a fall from height, now this is, this is a really, um, this is a really big one in New York. You know, all of the skyscrapers are being built and labor law section 240 really focuses on falls from height. It doesn't necessarily have to be a scaffold. It can be <clears throat> just falling from the second floor of a building, falling off a ladder, anything that's really a fall, literally from a height. Um, the reason, so one of the reasons we need to do investigations here is because, like I said, the ladders are moved, the scaffolding's removed, they're changed, the planks are removed or altered somehow. Um, especially if it's a phony accident that's kind of staged, you know, the, the claimant's friends are helping to change up the work site right after or soon thereafter. So it's really good to get your investigator out there as soon as it happens. Uh, same thing with the use of heavy equipment machinery. Like I mentioned, they just get moved, you know, right away. Um, sometimes even we've seen cases where there's catastrophic accidents involving like a loss of a limb and, you know, the investigators don't get out there right away and they get there and they can't even locate the equipment that the, that the claimant was handling or that he was injured by. And that usually pose a lot of issues for us in terms of determining what exactly happened, where it happened and the circumstances un under which it happened. So for all of these catastrophic injuries, I think you should get an investigation investigator out there. Even for the small cases, I think you should because they potentially could uh, become bigger cases, right? And you know, I've seen some of the quote unquote smaller cases, which we initially think it's going to be low exposure, really get out of control after like the first year. The claimant's going to the doctor, his GL attorney is trying to tell him to get all this crazy treatment. And then we don't have an investigation report. We don't have any witnesses from the very beginning to bring in to help defend the claim. And it, it's really an uphill battle. So to tee up a case for defense, I'd recommend getting investigation done in all of your construction accident claims, and especially in the catastrophic accident claims. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the on-site investigation. <clears throat> I can't stress enough, take place as soon as possible. I have clients who send out an investigator in the middle of the night. Yeah, you call them up. That's a service they offer, right? In the middle of the night. Can you go out there? Can you preserve the evidence? Take pictures, talk to witnesses, whatever you can do. I'd rather it be done within 12 hours. 24 hours is acceptable. But in 12 hours, I would like to see you sending your investigators out there. Use your vetted investigator. So remember last month we talked about putting together this team, right? We already have our go-to vendors, our resources. 
So as soon as an accident happens, we know who to call, right? We have that contact information and we know who should be making the call. Is it the adjuster? Is it the broker? Is it the risk manager? We have all of that teed up um, and, and really set up when we create this team. So when the accident happens, the call is made, the investigators out there, your attorneys out there in the middle of the night, snowing, raining, we're going out there to get the evidence, okay? Um, consider a cloaked investigation. So a cloaked investigation is an attorney-driven investigation. So we have the situations where the adjuster calls up the investigator and they go out there and they, do, they, they ask their questions, get the evidence, and then bring them back to the adjuster. The adjuster transmit them to the attorneys. We'd recommend actually communicating with your attorneys when you're doing the investigation, send the investigation out there. I've had clients call me up and say, hey, this accident happened an hour ago. We're gonna have an investigator go out there at you know, 3 p.m. today. Are you available for a quick call? just to go through the number of things that you would like the investigators to ask or obtain for the witnesses that you would like to see, you know, the kind of information. And I think it's very, very helpful. It, um, it really helps us to uh, create a defense from the very beginning. It also helps to put our client's mind at ease knowing that the, the person or persons who are gonna be involved in the legal defense is there from the very first day. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I, I know you're probably thinking, well, why does my workers' comp attorney need to be involved in the very beginning? Why does she need to be involved in the very beginning? So one of the things that we do here that my clients love is coordinated defense, right? The workers' compensation claim moves so, so quickly in comparison to the general liability claim. We're talking about a trial within 30 days from the accident, if things move that quickly, more likely within 45 days, right? It can go really fast, and whatever happens in the workers' comp claim can really impact the general liability claim because if the claim is established, if the body parts established, if the surgery is authorized, uh, if there's a fraud finding, right, that can also impact the general liability claim. So, you know, let's, I, I would recommend that you talk to your workers' comp attorney, even though more of the exposure is on the general liability side. What information should be collected when we're doing these on-site investigations? So let's let's go through some of the things that I think are important and that I know they're important based on my conversations and collaboration with GL Council. We want to talk to all of the witnesses and not only eyewitnesses, but anyone who would have any information. So it could be even the foreman who wasn't present, but who knows the claimant and the workers and the kind of work they were doing and what the location looked like when they were working. So we want the who, the what, the when, the where, every single thing, right? Every single detail we can get. Then we also want the actual eyewitnesses who saw the accident. And if there's no accident, well then we'll have quote unquote eyewitnesses who said, well, I didn't see anything because nothing happened. This guy was working next to me for the past 12 hours in the same 10 by 10 area and nothing happened. Those are the good witnesses, right? Those are the ones we have, that, that we have to uh, preserve um, their witness statements and also keep their contact information because you know what, tomorrow they might be moving to a different job site. So we really need to stay up to, to, to get that as soon as possible. Um, the details of the mechanism of injury is extremely, extremely important, especially in the workers' comp claim. 
when when the investigator go out there, if they have a chance to talk to the claimant, the claimant's going to tell them one thing. I can tell you, a week later, when the claimant files his C3, the story changes. And by the time he gets to court 30 days later, 45 days later, the story changes. And in between, he's gone to the hospital and three doctors, and it's all a different story. So it's best to get his version at the very beginning because it's contemporaneous and most likely the most accurate one. It's also good to get the eyewitnesses version of the like whatever happened. It's um it's it's essential in combating like whether the accident occurred, or we also use it a year, six months, twelve months later, uh, sometimes two years later, um, to uh, contest uh, additional body parts that are being claimed. Right? I mean. If this was a pinky finger and you claim in a consequential ankle injury, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay. All right. Um, the other thing that we need to do is uh, collect all of the tools and like small equipment. So not only the big machinery, but anything that's small. That's more so for the general liability side, but everything should be collected and preserved. Um, any kind of like an emergency response report. So usually on the job sites, there is a protocol, right? All of the workers know from their daily huddle and from going onto the project, if an accident occurs, it has to report it, it has to be reported to the super or the foreman or whoever the person is there that's in charge of that day. There's a protocol, forms are filled out, uh, statements are taken by them also. We need that information. If there's an on-site, um, medic that the claimant goes to, uh, whatever is, is done or said during that communication, we need to get that information also. The key here is to get as much contemporaneous uh, evidence or information as we can, because that would help to um, defend the claim. And pictures, photos of the accident, of the claimant, of the witnesses, of the location, any kind of photos, all all kinds of photos, uh, any anything that would be helpful. We need a lot of them. All right, so we now have to activate the rest of the team. So the very beginning, the accident happens. We call the investigator. The adjuster is involved. The client's already knowing what's going on. Um, you've gotten your workers' comp attorney and your jail uh, attorney involved. Now we have to activate the rest of the team because we know this is going to take off really quickly. What is, so who are the rest of the team? We need to talk to uh, maybe the on-site nurse or the medic, right? They could potentially be a witness, especially in the workers' comp claim. The general contractor, they usually have information that we need with regards to the kind of work that was happening, uh, that was going on. Uh, the general contractor usually has the foreman or the super on site that supervises the work also. So it's not the 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 supervisor is not usually from the like the, the actual employer or the subcontractor. It's usually a general contractor. They all should also should be aware that an accident happened or supposedly happened. So they can provide us any information that they know about the kind of work that was being done. The broker and the owner. Usually the broker and the owner. Uh, become aware of the accident at the same time because <clears throat> with the clients I work for, they're the first point of contact when an accident occurs and they're notified when an investigation is going to happen. But if they're not, if they're like the second level uh, contact, definitely reach out to them, let them know what they've got on their hands. And they can provide any input as to um, 
you know, directing how things are done also. And well, I'm going to repeat myself, your defense attorney, right? Get them involved. If it's just a like a regular investigation where the adjuster is calling the investigation to go out, as soon as it's done, it's get you you have the report and you refer in the case over to your defense attorney, uh, send send the report over to them, and you know engage communication between your attorneys and the investigator also because maybe a subsequent investigation is needed, additional information is needed. All right, so that's it for my overview on, you know, what to do in response to the loss, right? We just have to start working on the case from the very first moment that we know there's an accident or a claimed accident. And it's really the the, the, the team that we talked about, um, that's really set in the foundation for how your defense is going to go and your collaboration. I think for collaboration between workers' comp and general liability, it's really, really important to know who's doing what and who's going to do what when the accident actually occurs. So if you have any questions, type them into the box. If not, um, that's all I have for today. Uh, we're going to be back here next month. It's going to be July 12th because that first Monday is a holiday. So I hope you're all going to have a nice uh, July 4th weekend. And we'll talk about legal issues and coordinating defense. So. Coordinated defense sounds great, but there are some hurdles that we have to get over in order to um, put up a really good defense. Later down the road um, in August, September, October, we'll talk about some best practices on global settlements. Global settlements really, really save a lot of money. We'll talk about the ins and outs of those, lien waivers and so forth. And I haven't forgotten special requests. We are gonna do Kelly and Burns calculations later in the year. Um, I know some of you are really looking forward to that. So we're going to go through how to do the calculations and how to do them in conjunction with your global settlements and a potential lien waiver to see where you can um, maximize, uh, you know, settling the case in exchange for uh, saving some money. All right. And, you know, I try to do the relevant laws if there's anything new that's happening um, or anything that's applicable and give some real life examples also. So if you have no questions, um, I'll see you next time. And thank you for watching. I'll look for the questions now. Let me see. All right, no questions. I'm a little sad about that. If you have anything, send me an email. If not, I'll see you here next month. Thanks for joining me. Take care.